Hey, my name is Matt. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here. Got a question for you. Who would be like who who would like to be less shaken when bad things happen in their life? All right, if your hand isn't up, you're a liar, all right? Or you're just not paying attention. In that case, good luck the rest of the time. Uh, but no, we'd all love to be less shaken when bad things happen. And it makes me think of like a little sapling. Do we have that picture of the, the tree? Yeah, there we go. So this is a little bigger than I was wanting, but it, it, it gets the job done. Um, so if a big windstorm came, not that we know anything about windstorms around here, Big windstorm came, and it didn't have those supports. A lot of trees, especially if you had like a smaller sapling, um, if you didn't have that, it'd be, it'd be broken, uprooted potentially. A lot of us saw that when the derecho happened a couple years ago. Um, but if you have some supports like that, the tree would definitely be affected. I mean, it'd be moving around pretty good, but it wouldn't be uprooted. It wouldn't be broken. And one of Paul's main stated purposes in trying to help the Thessalonians, he's writing this letter, we're going through First and Second Thessalonians, he's writing this church in the town of Thessalonica, and one of his main stated purposes in chapter 3, verse 3 is this, so that no one will be shaken by affliction. So that no one will be shaken. Now, this doesn't mean that they wouldn't be affected by afflictions or by hardship, He's not calling them to be emotionless, steely robots. But what it does mean is that just like a sapling, just like a little tree, when it's supported and anchored, when the windstorm comes, it's going to stay standing and not be broken or uprooted. And so the same thing is true if we are anchored to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. Hard things will still happen. But when they happen, we'll become less and less shaken as our roots grow down deep into Jesus Christ. So we're going to learn from Paul's own ministry how to be less shaken by afflictions. So let's listen and learn from God through Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3. If you'd like to turn there with me or or open up on your app um, using the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And we're going to look at the whole chapter today, which is only 13 verses. So 1 Thessalonians 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this, In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction, and as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him, Timothy, to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. 
How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? As we pray very earnestly, night and day, to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. How to be less shaken by afflictions. Number one, people. People. Verses one and two, again, it says, therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. It reads kind of strangely in the CSB. It's, it, it's almost like it says we can no longer, when we can no longer stand it, we thought we'd just leave you alone. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, we really want to visit you, but we don't want to. I mean, that's, that's what it kind of looks like, but that's not what he, Paul is saying at all. There's a therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, if you look at chapter 2, verse 17, it said that Paul made efforts and plans to visit them. So it's not like he, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to catch up with you sometime. He's, no, like he had his, plan, his travel plans. Um, he, was, he was ready to go. But 2, verse 18, we learn that Satan hindered them from visiting now, some speculate this, this was a, a, an illness that Paul had, or, or perhaps even laws banning Paul from going to Thessalonica. Um, the truth is we don't know, but Paul attributes whatever it was to the devil's work. And the point is that Paul wanted to and tried to visit them, but factors outside his control prevented him. Now, it also says that he thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. So Paul's actually showing how much he cares for these Thessalonians by saying that. He, it's like he's saying, I'm giving up my incredible missions partner, Timothy, so that you can be encouraged. I'm giving up something. I'm here in Athens. And if you read in Acts, in Athens, it, he didn't have an easy go of it. It, it, was, it was a tough place to do ministry. And he's like, I'm going to give up one of my best here to help you all out. And in verse one, he, he, if I was just to kind of restate verse one and the beginning of verse two to help us understand Paul's intent, because it's kind of lost in translation, it'd be something like this. Since Satan kept us all from visiting you, we cared so much about you that we chose to be short-handed in our own ministry in Athens by sending our up-and-coming missionary stud, Timothy, to build you up. I mean, that's, that's the Matt Yoder uh, translation there. So something like that is, is what he's saying. Now, Paul did everything he could to be right there with them, with the Thessalonians in their affliction. But when it didn't work out, he didn't just settle for a letter. He's like, okay, I'll just write you a little letter. No, he sends a person. He sent Timothy, who they both, both Paul and the Thessalonians, knew and loved. People need people right there with them when life gets hard. This is what I've heard some call the ministry of presence. Sometimes you don't even need to say anything. You just be present with them. You want to be less shaken when life gets hard? Then reject the temptation to isolate and be with people. 
You want to help others when life gets hard for them? Then physically be with people. If not only to sit there and weep with them, just like the song we just sang. And I, I want to say this about that song too. I love that we do that song, Weep With Me, because it's a lament. I think, I think in the church we, get, we do a pretty good job at, at, at praise right, and rejoicing, and we do a pretty good job sometimes at, at being really contemplative and, and repentant, but I think we miss lament, and if you look at the Bible, especially the Psalms, you have people crying out in the midst of their hardship all the time. That is a form of worship, and I love that we did that this morning, but that is, that is what we're called to. This is what Paul is saying. Hey, this is how you be less shaken in affliction. Be with people. Or invite other people in. Be physically with them, if not only just to weep with them. He, Paul knew here that the, the most tangible way to remind people of Jesus' own presence and Jesus' own care is to physically be there as a 3D reminder of the presence of God himself. So in verse 2, we see that Timothy, though, isn't just there, present with them. He's there to strengthen and encourage their faith. So let's go with strengthen first. Paul didn't send Timothy just to be present. That was powerful. He sent him to strengthen their faith. Theologian Gene Green calls this the ministry of follow-up. I think that's a good way to put it. The call of Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples is not simply to go and share the good news about Jesus and watch them be converted and go, great, I'm moving on. No, the call to make disciples is a process. It, it involves follow-up. It involves strengthening people. It's what many call discipleship. Undoubtedly, this included teaching them more and more about Jesus, about sin, about trials, and, and much more. Paul knew that the more they understood about God and his good ways, the more unshakable they would become and the more the roots would grow down deep when they experience hardship so that they could withstand it. See, this is what we're even attempting to do right now. I, I, am, I am trying to strengthen all of us here today by giving you uh, greater insight into the word of God so that your roots can grow down deep. When you're going through hard times, you need other people to help strengthen you. This is, this is a main purpose of our Bible studies, our men's and women's Bible studies that go on. It's to help strengthen people in their faith, to learn more about Christ, to learn more about the word, to strengthen them. This would be the role in your life of a mentor, having spiritual moms and dads who are a little farther along in their walk with Christ sharing wisdom with us, helping us along. But Timothy didn't just strengthen their faith, he encouraged them in their faith. Strengthening involves teaching people new truths usually, whereas encouragement is reminding them of truths that they perhaps already know, but have forgotten. It's, it's putting wind in their sails. It's saying things like, hey, remember, we, this is not our home. We are people of the future we have eternal life to look forward to. Hey, remember, nothing can separate us from the love of God. You may not feel really loved by God today, but nothing can separate us from his love. 
Remember, Jesus understands you. Remember, Jesus is with you. When you're going through hard times, you need people to help encourage you. This is the main function of our connection groups here in our church. My connection group, as, as recently as this past Tuesday, really encouraged me by praying for me. You know, I, I know a lot of things, at least in my head, about the Bible. So it's not often I go to, to my connection group and learn something new, but it is almost every time that I go and I'm really encouraged and reminded of what's good and true and have people pray for me and over me and I walk away super encouraged. This is the role of close friends who follow Christ in our lives. We need people who encourage us in our faith. We also need people to help counter the devil's attacks. Look down at verse 5. It says, For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent Timothy to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. Paul is always aware that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Sure, he says that in Ephesians 6, but he is always aware of this unseen battle going on. So he sends Timothy to strengthen and encourage them as a counterattack against the devil and his schemes and his lies. The devil was tempting them to give up. Life is hard, give up. Saying things like, is, is following Jesus really worth all this hassle, Thessalonians? Your old life was so much easier. Why don't you just go back to that? And Timothy swoops in and counters attack with the truth. But often, the devil is so sneaky that his lies sound like truth. We need Timothys in our lives to jump in our corner and battle with us and battle for us. For a lot of us, the year 2020 and into 2021 was, was not the easiest time in life, right? And during that period, another pastor here in town actually got a hold of me and said, hey, I was thinking about reading this book and it was geared towards pastors and it was really encouraging. And um, he's like, hey, you want to read this together and get together uh, and discuss it? Um, and we did that. And it, it was great. And what what... What's so great about it is it helped counter the devil's attacks. You, as uniquely he, he attacks pastors, it, it helped counter some of those things. And so we met in person, and, and, and this guy really helped me. But I also helped him sometimes, it just kind of depending on where we were at. And it was awesome. Perhaps you're at a spot where you need something like that. Perhaps you need to tap someone on the shoulder before you leave even today or send a text message to someone or call someone today and say, hey, let's read through this together. Hey, let's, let's get together and just share what's going on in our lives. Hey, let's get together and pray, whatever it is. But getting together and countering the devil's attacks in our lives. Now, I know that even the amount of time I'm suggesting that you spend with others is super countercultural. I, we, we live in a, a stay-at-home, figure-it-out-yourself, don't-let-other-people-in world. But God designed us to need one another, especially when life is hard. Now, you can fight that. You can distance yourself from people. You, of course, have the freedom to do, to do that. But there will be consequences. When hardship inevitably comes in your life, 
If you've distanced yourself from people, you will at least feel very alone and probably be more shaken than you needed to be. So, how do we be less shaken by afflictions? Number one, people. Number two, expectations. Verses three and four. So that no one will be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction, and as you know, it happened. Expectations. We need to realize that as Paul says here in verse 3, we are appointed, we are called to be afflicted. He's saying expect hardship. This was a foundational teaching of Paul to new believers, right? If you, if you just came up with a list of, okay, someone becomes a believer. What are the, like, the main things about God and about following Jesus I'm going to teach them? For Paul, one of them was this. Hey, life's going to be hard. Look at Acts 14 with me. I think I have this one. Yep, Acts 14, 21 and 22. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This was his teaching to them. Brand new believers. Hey, it is necessary for you to go through hard things. Oh, thanks, Paul. You're so full of joy today, right? It's necessary that you will go through many hardships, he says. This was also the, a foundational teaching of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, living in and growing up, we, we are in a world that is all about comfort, Right? We have Amazon two-day shipping, sometimes one-day shipping if you pay a little more, right? We're in, we're in a fast-paced, comfort-filled environment, and we're, we get tricked into expecting ease and comfort in life. We get lulled to sleep by a culture that, by and large, is allergic to difficulty. But for 2,000-plus years, followers of Jesus expected to face hardship. Quit being surprised by suffering. Jesus, Paul, the Thessalonians, and, and everyone else who has followed Jesus, this has been their experience. Why would it not be ours as well? We have a life following Jesus of bearing various crosses just as Jesus bore his cross, but those crosses will produce a resurrection. It's not just, oh, this is hard, right? We are living now in the present as people of the future. This is not our home. This is not what it's about. So we walk through this stuff knowing that one day, somehow God is going to work some good through it. Expectations make or break your experience of affliction and pain. If you expect comfort and ease following Jesus, you will be frequently frustrated and disappointed with God and tempted to doubt him at every turn. But if you expect pain and affliction following Jesus, it will not only be much easier to stomach when it comes, but it will make you more eager for the fact that this isn't your home for heaven. 
Reinhold Niebuhr's uh, prayer of serenity I want to share with you. You probably know the first part because recovery groups are great at using the first part, but then they leave out Jesus. Why would you do that? I don't know. I want to share the whole thing with you. Does God grant me the serenity, serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference? Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right. Now, we could just sit here and break down each one of these lines, right? But accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right. I've prayed this prayer so many times over the last few years. Most days, I'm just trying to live in the the part right before it, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. That's hard in and of itself but accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. How do you be less shaken by afflictions? People and having correct expectations. And thirdly, testimonies. Verses six through 10, it says, but now Timothy has come to us from you and and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live, if you stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experienced before our God because of you? As we pray very earnestly, night and day, to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. This is mutual here. Both Paul and the Thessalonians hear testimonies of one another standing firm in the Lord amidst affliction. They're they're mutually encouraged by each other. Let me reread verse 7. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. Paul is motivated and encouraged in his own afflictions. Paul's going through hard stuff himself, but he's encouraged because he's seeing the Thessalonians going through hard stuff and enduring and thriving and clinging to Christ. And he's going, wow, that's incredible. Praise God for that. Testimonies are used by God to help strengthen us. This is just one of many ways that God brings purpose out of our pain. is to share our own experience with other people as we go through hard stuff. Now, when we think of testimonies, we're usually thinking of stories of coming to know Christ, right? But another type of testimony that's needed in the life of a follower of Christ is testimonies of people standing firm in the Lord when life is crumbling around them. Now, one of the most practical ways is to hear these types of testimonies from other people, to ask other people, hey, can you share with me a time when he went through something really hard and how did you cling to the Lord amidst that? So I've actually asked a couple people to come and share their testimonies this morning of walking through some really hard stuff and how God brought them through it. So we'll start with Jacob Bless. Uh, you are here, right? And it's, oh, there he is. Good. Front. Right in the front. So thanks for sharing, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, so 
the the biggest time that stands out in my mind in my life of uh, walking through hardship was a period of about three years of anxiety and depression and struggling with that for from like halfway through my sophomore year of college and then like kind of three years out of that and it had a lot to do with relational insecurities and kind of idolatry of uh, like being loved and accepted by people in my life and yeah God brought me through that through really just like a lot of really ordinary things like just Bible reading praying like that doesn't like fix things immediately but as one of my friends told me like you're never going to be in a place where reading the Bible and praying isn't going to be good for you and yeah God was faithful to uh, give me a lot of great people in my life to support me through it and um, yeah be supportive give really good advice and be pointing me to the Lord and yeah it had to do with a lot of uh, renewing my mind to believe what God's word says is true. Uh, Psalm 119, 92 says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And yeah, that was very true that uh, like having, knowing that what God's word says is true about myself and about life, um, and not what I felt like was true was extremely important. And yeah, having faith in God's sovereignty that he would uh, work everything together for the good of those who love him, as Romans 8 says, uh, was very important as well. But yeah, through all of it, yeah, God brought me through it and I was, I'm definitely like a lot closer to him, have a lot more faith in him and rely on him more through it. And as Psalm 119, verse 71 and 72 say, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Yeah, that's very true of yeah, my testimony through that situation. Thanks. Thanks, Jacob. And... Uh, and Joni Gaynor is going to share with us as well. So. Um, when Matt asked me to share about how I've stood firm in the Lord while walking through hardship in Christ, I asked him which hardship, and we laughed together. <laughs> Um, it's, it's been quite a year, but, um, this, this has been a year of hardship and loss, but as I reflected on the question, I really needed to go back in time to answer the question, and the place where I learned the things that sustained me this year are things that I learned in a marriage that went from difficult to abuse and betrayal, and I could tell lots of stories that would reflect how I still struggle with the realities of great woundedness, but I'm not. <laughs> Um, but for a more objective view of that former life, I'll tell you, um, the things that are well-respected, well-respected conservative Christian marriage counselor said to console me when it was clear that divorce was the natural consequence of the final event. Um, he said, 
And Joni, don't take Greg's choices personally. He would have done that to anybody he was married to. He said Greg showed his commitment to, by the choices he made. He said, Joni, people don't do 16 years of marriage counseling. I did. Um, Joni, you had to build walls just to survive. What sort of man does that to his family? Joni, there's nothing else you can do. He told me my only options were divorce or anger and bitterness. After almost 29 years of marriage, the divorce was finalized in June of 2015. It was in that former life that God showed me the truths that helped me to endure and grow. Those nuggets still help me to endure and grow so much that to remember the truth is to remember the fire where it was forged. These truths help me in whatever difficulty I may be facing now. And the Lord met me then, and he meets me now. And so what did I learn in that furnace? In the 1990s, as I contemplated and struggled with Ephesians 5, I came to learn that I have a heavenly bridegroom who loves me and speaks truth to me. It brought great peace of mind in the midst of the sea of chaos of lies and deceit. And as a single woman, that reality still brings great comfort. In Psalm 139, he showed my bruised spirit that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God defines me, not the false accusations and the blaming. He also showed me that all my days were planned before one of them came to be. Again, Psalm 139, one of my favorites. And that he's prepared good works in advance for me to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. That means I am not going to leave this earth until God says, I'm done. And no matter what my health issues are or how my safety was disregarded by the man who was supposed to protect me. Another crucial concept I learned was that courage and faith is not about an absence of fears. It's about doing the right thing in spite of the fears. And the Bible's filled with examples. But probably the most life-changing and life-giving verses for me are at the beginning of 2 Peter. It says that God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. It means that I don't have to respond to sin with sin. I have a way out. I began to slow down in responding to gaslighting and lies and deceit and betrayals. And this concept is deserving of the whole verse, and not just my uh, cliff versions that I've given you so far. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, Godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these is blind 
and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will be richly supplied to you. God used that verse in a mighty way, and I needed to slow down, and I needed to just think about how to respond to what was going on. And respond, yes, but not react. There's a difference. Every time I cried out to God, he met me. He sustained me. He taught me. He comforted me. And he still does. He uses my past to demonstrate that he is faithful then. He's faithful now. And I can rest in him. And I can have joy. Thank you, Joni, and thank you, Jacob. We need to, we need to hear more and more of these stories. Um, there's a lot of them in this room. Ask each other, what have you gone through? How, how have you gotten through it clinging to the Lord? Be so encouraged, built up. So lastly, how to be less shaken by afflictions, intercession. Verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. May you make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Intercession. So what I'm not saying here is just prayer in general. Yes, prayer is helpful in hard times. But here, what we see Paul doing here is praying on behalf of others. So Paul is going through a hard time, and he decides to take his gaze away from his problem and put it on someone else's problem and pray for them. Praying for others. When, when you intercede, when you, when you pray for others, it takes the focus off you and off your difficult situation, and on to them. Paul is also going through hardship himself. Here he is. He's praying for the Thessalonians. When you, in, when you intercede for others, it also not only takes the focus off of you, it, it, it puts the focus on God instead of the circumstances. Hard stuff is still going to be there, right? You, I mean, when you pray for others, the hard stuff doesn't just disappear, but when you're praying for others, you're now recognizing, oh yeah, God is here. Oh yeah, he's in control. Oh yeah, he can be trusted. Interceding on behalf of others lifts our gaze from the seen to the unseen, from the temporary to the eternal, from the chaos we're going through to the creator. And suddenly that hardship, while still hard, is maybe just a little less jarring and you start to believe that God really does got this. When you intercede for others in the midst of hardship, it reminds you, as the title of our series says, that we are people of the future. Verse 13, he prays, May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Amen. 
Notice that the focus here is all on Jesus. Sure, Paul is praying for their hearts to be blameless and holy, but Paul is praying that he would do it, that God would do this, that God would make their hearts blameless and holy. See, it's Jesus' blameless, holy record that we get. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Paul reminds the Thessalonians and he reminds himself that, hey, Jesus is coming back. Praying for others jogs our forgetful memories of our future hope, of our living hope, that this terrible junk we're facing right now is not the end of the story. When you or others are suffering, pray for them with hope because Jesus really is coming back and he really will make all things right. I want to end by sharing a story um, that Francis Chan shares in his book, Forgotten God. He said, I recently had dinner in Seoul, South Korea with an amazing man. He was one of the 23 missionaries who were held hostage by the Taliban in Afghanistan in July 2007. For those who don't recall the story, the Taliban executed two of the missionaries before a deal was reached with the government of South Korea and the missionaries were released. This man told me about the horrors of being locked up in a cell knowing that martyrdom was a strong possibility. He also shared about the amazing time they had on the last day they were all in prison together. Each of the 23 missionaries surrendered their lives to God that night and told him that they were willing to die for his glory. There was even an argument over who would get to die first. And one of them had a small Bible that the missionary secretly ripped into 23 pieces so each could glance at scripture when no one was watching. The word of God and the spirit of God got them through the 40 days of imprisonment. One of the most fascinating things the man told me about what had happened since is that now that he had been back in Seoul for a while, several team members have asked him, don't you wish we were still there? He tells me that several of them experienced a deep kind of intimacy with God in the prison cell that they haven't been able to recapture in their comfort. This is the precious gift of intimacy the Holy Spirit offers us. It is a security that is priceless and worth any loss of safety and comfort, even imprisonment by the Taliban. This is what inviting Jesus in in the midst of your affliction, when you invite him into that, you receive, as he says here, a security that is priceless and worth any loss of safety and comfort, even imprisonment by the Taliban. See, this isn't our home. Comfort is not God. God is God. And even in the midst of the most horrific uncomfort. I mean, they were going to potentially die for following Christ. They experienced one of the most secure safeties they have in their whole life. That came from God himself, the Holy Spirit. So whatever you're facing and whatever you will face in life, you do not have to be greatly shaken by that. Sure, it will, it will impact you, but you have Christ and hope of eternity with him forever. Nothing can take that from you. Cling to him 
Anchor yourself to the rock, Jesus Christ, because he loves you more than anyone ever could. And he cares for you even in the deepest, darkest night of the soul. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you weep with us. We thank you that you walk through affliction with us. And so, Lord, I pray the scripture that we just looked at for everyone here. May the Lord cause all of us to increase and overflow with love for one another. I pray that you would make our hearts blameless and in holiness before you, God. And at the coming of our Lord Jesus, help us to look forward to the coming of Jesus. God, anchor us in your great love. Anchor us in your truth, Jesus. Prepare us. Maybe today we're going, you know what? Life's fine. You know, life's just great. Fantastic. Praise God. I pray that today, as we looked at this scripture, that it would prepare us for those moments where life is not good. And Lord, I pray for those who are just walking through hell on earth right now. I pray, Jesus, that they would experience your presence I pray that they would know that they are not alone. I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength to reach out to others. I pray that you would even put it on other people's minds and hearts to reach out to them and be a 3D, tangible, in-person reminder that you never leave us and you will never forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand and sing one last song with us?